Hello and welcome to the Snippets of Leadership podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to yet another Leadership Masterclass. My guest today is an international speaker and the founder of Revisionary, which is a boutique consulting firm that provides executive coaching, leadership development and culture services around the world. My guest has almost 20 years experience working with growing organizations to help them navigate change and build leadership capacity and is the trusted advisor to leaders and executives in a variety of industries. To the point that in 2020, she won the award for best culture design specialist from corporate vision for her body of work and personal point of, uh, being glad about it. She's also a fellow podcast host with her podcast, Leading Through Crisis. Please welcome Celine Williams. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I always love, I love when we, I get to be with other podcasters. It's like this little fun community to be a part of. Yeah, it's nice. It's actually the, the way people manage to interact and just talk to each other. I've been in it for about two years, but uh, I like to see it grow. But enough about me. This is all about <laughs> you today. And you and I had a brief uh, encounter, brief discussion beforehand. And there was one thing that did make me curious about your approach and what you do. And I'm going to let you answer it because I love the way you presented it. So you talk in your work about human focused leadership. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me more or everything about it? I mean, I wish I could tell you everything about it, but I can very easily talk about it for hours and hours. So I'll give you the less um, tiresome and lengthy explanation of it. The core sort of belief, if you will, of human-focused leadership is that it centers on the idea that the people in your organization, one, are whole, complete human beings, and two, that they are your competitive advantage. So more traditional business tends to focus on product and profit. And I want to be super clear. It's not that those are not part of human focused leadership, but in traditional, the in traditional lens on business, it's that your people are a means to an end, not the reason that your product and product, your product and profit are where they are. So it's sort of flipping the paradigm on its head and saying that if we take care of people first, if we make them, if we lean into the fact that they are our competitive advantage and we make them the center of what we do, then we are actually going to be more profitable. We are going to build better products. We are going to have more of an impact in the world that we want to have. And that means really embracing people as whole, complete human beings. There's no, I am one way at home. I am a different way at work. It is being accepting. It doesn't, and I always say this, it's not about agreeing with everything. You don't have to agree with everyone around you. You don't have to say, oh, the way that you live your life, whatever you believe in, what, whatever, that I agree with it, but it's being accepting of it. And those are very distinct head spaces. And I think they really need to be called out because people, human focused leadership and organizations that are human focused are really accepting of we are all real, whole, complete human beings. We all have things going on. We have real life to contend with. There's not a home Celine and a work Celine. There's not a, because home Celine affects work Celine and vice versa. So it's, it's really acknowledging that people are your competitive advantage, that they can bring 
all of those parts themselves to work. And obviously there's a, a way, an appropriate way to do that. You're not going to yell and scream and have a fit in any situation, hopefully. Um, and then really encouraging all of that in your leaders and in your people so that everyone is working towards the end goal, towards a very clear purpose together. There is a couple of things that I find really uh that just got my attention in, yeah. in, in your whole answer. And um, one of them that was just at the very beginning was quite curious. The fact that you used to describe, let's say, um, let's give just un everything under the umbrella of people and culture and being human. Just, but you used terminology that is quite clearly connected to strategy. So everything, so the other side of it, for example, competitive advantage, it's mm -hmm. something that to be honest, I've never heard associated with people this mm -hmm. clearly. It's always been something associated with product or if you look at it in terms of country level with different countries. And it's quite interesting to use this terminology because it can be a way of passing this idea of focusing on the person, focusing on the interaction, the, um, the whole of the human being to maybe decision makers that are th more used to think in terms of strategy. So that's the, um, the thing that got my attention the mm -hmm. most at the beginning and connected to it, I started thinking of a different question, which was, well, how do you bring it for further as in, um, why this type of leadership, why looking at the human part of whoever is working with you first, rather than looking, rather than embodying the manager that makes people do their work and reaches result and gets stuff done? What's the, what's the, how do the two compare? Why one and not the other, if I may? Yeah. So I'm going to break my answer up into two parts. And the, and the first awesome. one is, <laughs> so the first one is about the competitive advantage. And, and I want to touch on that really quickly because we don't often think of people, we have not historically thought of people as a competitive advantage. We think of them as a resource or a capital or like human capital, human resources, right? We don't think of them as really the reason that we have great products, the reason that we make money is because of the people. The people are driving all of that. So while we like to think that the features of our product are a competitive advantage, those features don't exist without the people. So the features are not the competitive advantage. Our people are the competitive advantage. And when we can start to, as leaders and organizations, recognize that and shift out of the commoditization of people into the fact that they are what they're bringing to the table matters, then we can change our lens on business. And I just want to touch on that because I, I think the competitive advantage piece really is, I appreciate you noting that because I think it's more important than we often give it time for, right? So I, I thank you for letting me derail the, the first part of that a little bit. <laughs> anytime, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the the second piece of what you're asking, which is, which is really around, I'm going to try and remember it and sum it up succinctly. So if I get this wrong, please feel free to interrupt and reflect back. But was really around this idea that traditional managers who are managing and just driving for results, why is people-centric in my opinion, I'm going to say superior, but let's say different, right? I think it works more effectively. I've seen it be more effective, but I'm not married to my opinion being the only opinion. So I think superior, let's say different, but what is, why is 
what is it that makes it different or makes the difference more compelling from my lens? That's sort of what you're asking, right? Yeah. Why should someone basically buy into this idea? So there's a few things. The first thing I would say is we need to, anyone who is really proud of being a manager needs to question the idea of the even term management because we manage things. We don't manage people. We can lead people, but we don't manage people because no one is motivated by business results. Unless you own the business, there's no one in your business who is like, yes, we, the company made more money this, we made more sales this year than ever before. No one is motivated by that. They might celebrate it with you, but that's not what motivates them. What motivates them is what they are doing as part of that what their connection to it is, how their purpose lines up with everything that is happening in the, in the organization around them. That is a human-focused leadership. That is recognizing that the business results managing for the result is never going to motivate the people. And the, best, the way that we get the best out of people is not by managing them to the result that we want, because they don't ultimately care that much about the result. It's leading them to be their best self, to align their purpose with what they're working on, to bring all of that forward, because then they are intrinsically motivated to perform because they want to perform, not because someone is going to punish them if they don't, not because they're not going to get a bonus if they don't, but because they genuinely care. That's where we get the longest commitments, the best work out of people. That makes sense. And I want to immediately just follow up on this train of thought because um, what I would agree with you and I do on uh, this idea, this point of view that people are a resource um, and a competitive advantage, frame it as you wish, but it's something I share your point of view. I also have this little devil's advocate attitude in asking this question as in it is quite honestly, a very different version of what a leader should be. It's a very different description of the leader's persona or the manager's persona. And it sounds um, not as safe as the um, distant manager that drives result and results and gets people to do their job because it involves mm, exposing yourself. It involves mm, showing your true colors. It involves a lot more work in terms of mindset, in terms of learning something else mm -hmm. that is not what you're used to. So based on your experience, how, how do you get people to kind of buy into this idea? Because, well, we all love change. We all going to watch a movie and see the protagonist go through a change and become a better person. But we hate doing change because it's a lot of effort. So how do you get people to buy into this idea and to actually notice that, hey, this is good for me and for my team? So... I want to acknowledge the fact that you're right. We all love watching other people change. We love talking about the idea of change. We hate the actual process of change because it's scary and it's the unknown. And as humans, we want certainty. We want to know that the thing we are doing is going to get the result that we want to get. We want to know that we are safe at all points in time. And here's the thing. The traditional way of managing, that manager who 
is thinking, I don't want to be that vulnerable. I don't want to be that open. I don't want to step into the unknown. This is not how I was raised in the world of management, whatever the case may be. They have created a false sense of security in the way that they're doing things right now. The way they are getting the result that they're getting because they're doing the thing that they're doing. It doesn't mean it's the best result. They're just comfortable with the result that they're getting. So it's a false sense of security that's not actually based on anyone's potential or possibility. And the truth is that, so my personal motto is that I am more committed to my own growth than I am my comfort. I don't have to be comfortable all the time if I know that there's an opportunity for growth and learning and something better, whatever I term better, out there. And that's really what this is about. It's about stepping into possibility. It's it's recognizing possibility and potential in other people. It is getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. And it's noting that we are all like, whether or not that manager wants to formally accepted at work or not, we are all human beings and we all have emotions and we all make decisions from those emotions. First and foremost, we know that we do not. I mean, there are mountains of studies that show us over and over again. We are not rational creatures. We are not making decisions based on evidence or facts ever. We make it based on emotion. So why do we not just accept that we all, that we are emotional creatures and work with that instead of against it? And it's scary because we're so used to thinking that there's, you know, num- business is all numbers and rational. There's no crying in baseball. We just show up and we're machines and we go home. But that's not real. So why are we fighting it? Instead of fighting it, let's work with it and let's work with the people as they are. And let's step into being vulnerable and open and see what happens. That makes sense. And that's probably one of the biggest obstacles for the, um, that I see around working with leaders and working with others, this idea of being vulnerable and of kind of accepting the emotional aspect of it. I'm also um, quite fond of what you said about emotions. Um, this is a big part of my personal work and, um, it's, I actually say, frame it similarly to what you said, like we all have emotions, we all have them and they cause something to happen to us. So you can either ignore them or learn to acknowledge them. And it does clash into some cultures as well, what you said, because I do remember a woman after a workshop that I had given on emotional intelligence and communicating emotionally, approaching me, telling me that where she was from, um, people were expected to not bring any of that, any vulnerability, any emotion, anything into their workplace and Mm -hmm. still keep detached. And that was going to be somehow better for work. And that was uh, four years ago. So not so long ago, we're not Mm -hmm. talking about the 1960s, but this also shows us to what depth this kind of old way of thinking and of leading um, still goes nowadays. And so... In practice, how would this look like for someone who wants to um, buy into this idea, for someone who wants to at least say, hey, I want to give it a try, for whoever is listening right now that is actually agreeing with what you're saying and wants to see if this would work for him or for her, what would be a good way to get started? Something that they could try tomorrow morning that would give them an idea of how of what this would mean? Yeah. So, uh, and before I answer that, and I will, I do want to acknowledge that, that the woman that you're talking about, her experience, it's not atypical. It's still not atypical, 
right? It, the vast majority of organizations, especially larger, more established ones, and very dependent on where they are in the world. And that's really important to acknowledge that there are different company cultures as well as different actual cultures at play. So there are different levels and layers where this is possible and how this is possible. And I don't want to overlook that because it is important to acknowledge that her situation is not, um, it's not uncommon by any stretch. And the more globalized the world becomes, the more millennials and zennials and whatever, not millennials and Gen X or Gen <laughs> Y or what Gen Z or whatever it is, Gen Z, I guess, that are Fair in the wake place, <laughs> the more this is changing around the world and the more it will continue to change. So yes, that experience is not uncommon and it, we are seeing it change based on industry, based on locations, but it is really starting to change more and more. And I think it's important to note that as part of this. So in terms of what someone who is interested in doing this can do tomorrow, what they can try tomorrow, there's a few different things I would say. The first thing is if you are in an organization or you're, or you're in a country, if you're in a situation where this is not the norm, then don't, don't go whole hog into it for lack of a better term. You're not suddenly going to be like, I am changing everything on my own. I'm going to take on all of the ways that I can become a human focused leader and dive right in. Don't do that. You're going to burn yourself out. You're going to overwhelm the people about around you. That is, it's so easy to want to be that person when you're enthusiastic about things. And as someone who has that natural tendency for the record, I see you all and I understand it. And it's not the most effective way. So it's okay to be enthusiastic. And it's really important to be enthusiastic in a practical way if this is something you want to try. And that means that it means meeting people where they are. It means if you run a team looking at how you can implement some of these things on your team with you as the example, it means being okay leading by example, stepping into that vulnerability first and foremost, because if you don't do it, companies, and I've worked with companies where this has happened in teams where they've said, we are, we are embracing this idea. We're putting people at the center of the organization. We're going to do all these things. And then none of the leaders did it because it was a practice. It was a, a process. They were a system or whatever they were implementing, but none of the leaders were modeling it. And what do you think ended up happening? It wasn't nothing, right? It didn't ha Nothing happened because there was no one actually willing to take the first step. So leaders who are interested in this, you have to be willing to put yourself out there and be vulnerable in whatever that looks like in whatever it can be a small way with your team is always the, the suggestion that I start with is with your team, the people that report to you and have an open conversation and say, I'm really, I really want to find ways to have all of you show up as your best self, bring all of you to the, to work, bring all of your ideas. What, how can we do that? What does that, what would that look like for you? Get people around you involved because that's part of human centered leadership or human focused leadership is that you're not assuming that the way you want to see it happen is the only way you are getting context and information and asking the people around you, what the possibility, what they think the potential for this could be. And it can start as simple as that conversation, but you initializing it and you initiating it because you're 
okay to step into that place of the unknown and being vulnerable and asking for input, not having the answer all the time. Indeed. And uh, what you said, uh, the way you um, framed it, especially the last few points, um, do go into a direction that I really much like, which is building trust. Yeah. And if you want to circle back to where we started from, uh, there is there are also studies that have shown that trust in leadership or having a personal uh, connection with whoever is leading you and trusting that person is what determines most of a team's performance, most of the team's good behaviors. And it's something I keep on hitting on. So if you want to circle all of this effort back to the way at the beginning, when we talked about uh, terms that belong to the strategic world rather than the cultural world, this is it. So indeed, building a personal connection, building trust, enabling people to um, be willing to trust you as a leader just by showing that you're not perfect. That's actually a component. If you show others that you are not superior, you don't always have the right answer, but you're also a person that can have uncertainties and mistakes, they won't see you as less as you might fear. They will see you as someone they can relate to. And that makes a world of a difference. And yeah, connecting. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to jump. I just really want to. I sorry to interrupt you, but I'm very excited to to emphasize that fact. And it, because I love that you brought it back to trust, because it really is. It comes down to. So it comes down to this. We often think that that we need people to prove to us that we can trust them. Prove to me that I can trust you, and I'm going to trust you. We have to stop thinking that way, especially as leaders. We need to prove to them that they can trust us. And what you've just said is the nugget inside of that, that when you step out, when you're willing to admit you've made a mistake, when you're willing to say, you know, to ask a question, to be vulnerable, you are proving that you are worthy of their trust. And that is how we build trust is we prove it to them, not they prove it to us. Indeed. And it's funny because I just had the, I was going through my notes and the title of your podcast just popped up again, leading through crisis. And I cannot think of a better way of leading through a crisis than by gaining the trust of your team and uh, connecting to them and basically making sure that you're resilient together, that everyone has got each other's back. If you let me borrow a term from a different world. So indeed. Fully agree with you. Well, Celine, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us, sharing your point of view on human-focused leadership. Thank you so much for being my guest. And um, thank you for giving me your time. And to everyone who is listening, thank you for uh, spending your time with me and with Celine today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much and talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. My name is Eduardo Bindazane from EBZ Coaching. I'm a leadership and communication trainer and consultant. And if you have any questions about what you've heard in this episode, please reach out to me via LinkedIn, Facebook, or my website. I'll be answering the most interesting questions on the show. And if you know someone that will benefit from this type of content, please make sure you recommend this podcast to them. Thank you and see you next time.